Welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, sponsored by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, CCLVI. Please visit our website for this podcast at cclvi.org slash ltlv. Now, on with the show. Our guest this evening will be Gerard Williams, who is the 504 uh, Compliance Officer at the Federal Communications Commission. And we will be discussing the Affordable Connectivity Program that has recently been launched by the FCC. Good evening, Gerard. How are you? Good. Uh, I'm great, Terry. Thanks for having me back here. Uh, Always happy to get out and talk about some of the great work that's going on at the FCC. And we're always delighted to have you back. We've had Gerard on a couple of other times in the past on visibilities and at our, I think at our general uh, convention sessions. But he's got a whole new topic for us tonight that some of you very well may be eligible for, or you know someone who is, someone who may be eligible and may not have any connectivity at this point or is having a tough time paying for it or needs a new device to connect better. And with that, I am going to turn all of this right over to Gerard because I know how many of you know Gerard and have heard him before and are chomping at the bit to hear him again this evening. I want to thank him for doing this again tonight. He did it for us yesterday afternoon and we had a great turnout then and I think we're doing the same again this evening. So Gerard tell us all about the Affordable Connectivity Program ACP. It's much easier. (laughs) ACP. We do make it much easier with our plethora of acronyms at the federal government. So um, first of all, thank you, Terry. Thanks for having me back again. I'm happy to be a repeat offender at these types of events, but hopefully uh, I bring some fresh information with me every time, and that's my goal. I want to preface this with a, a lesson learned from yesterday. So uh, I go through a, a lot of content. I go through it pretty quickly, but I will say that towards the end, I'm going to make sure to give out repeatedly a number of different resources and some contact information, including my own contact information. So if you have any follow-up questions, if you're looking for materials or resources afterwards, you can certainly reach out to Terry. Terry knows how to reach me. You can reach me directly, and we'll be happy to get any and all of that information over to you in, in a format that works for you. So just that preface that we're going we're gonna to go through a lot. We're going to go through some resources, some phone numbers, some email addresses, and some website URLs. But if you don't have a way to write them down while we're, while we're talking this evening, don't fret. We'll make sure to get them over to you in a way that works. We will indeed, because we will have those resources available on the cclvi.org website very shortly. And the Visibilities website is undergoing a major overhaul, but it should be up and they will be available on there on visibilities.net. And any other time that someone needs it, if you email me, at visibilities, that's V-I-S-A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E-S, 5-0 at gmail.com. Great. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Terry, and thanks for doing that follow-up work. In order to really get everyone a sense of the Affordable Connectivity Program, or the ACP as we call it, we have to take a bit of a step back and talk first about another program, the predecessor to the ACP, which was the Emergency Broadband Benefit 
And this one, of course, EBB, because we don't have enough acronyms in all of our lives. So we had the EBB that was launched uh, as part of relief during the COVID-19 pandemic. We all realized very early on the importance of having broadband internet connections at home. And we saw the stark differences that that made in so many people's lives when they could not afford to have a connection when everything started to go virtual. So pursuant to some legislation, the FCC implemented this emergency broadband benefit program to allow individuals, households who qualified under certain criteria, being low income, participating in other benefits programs, or who were adversely impacted by the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, having lost a job or having lost significant income due to the pandemic, to qualify for a monthly benefit that is a discount that was provided on their broadband service. That program was then followed by the Affordable Connectivity Program. So this initial EBB was pinned specifically to the COVID-19 pandemic. And so uh, in the Infrastructure Act passed towards the end of 2021, afforded $14 billion for the ACP, the successor program, to EBB. Very similar in many respects, but a few slight differences. Number one, uh, in terms of the differences, the amount of the benefit that is the monthly discount to your broadband benefit changed under ebb that benefit was fifty dollars a month for qualifying households uh, and under acp that benefit amount has changed to thirty dollars a month for qualifying households uh, and qualifying households on tribal lands have an unchanged benefit it was 75 dollars under the ebb uh, and remain $75 for qualifying households on tribal lands in ACP. In addition to this monthly discount, this benefit that is applied to the broadband bill for qualifying households, there is a separate benefit that can be used up to $100 for the purchase of a device, a connected device in order to be able to use that broadband connection. So that could be a tablet, could be a laptop, could be a mobile device. And that is for those participating providers. That is not all providers who are participating in the program provide devices, but those that do are going to offer one that can be uh, compatible with this benefit. And you can get up to $100 off of that one-time purchase for a laptop, desktop, or a tablet purchased through that participating provider. So that is what the benefit is. But now we have to talk about how you can be considered eligible. The eligibility criteria apply to an entire household. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the definition of a household, which is kind of material here. And I know it's kind of wonky, but we're going to talk about it. The entire household is eligible if any member, any individual in that household meets any of the following criteria. All right. So the first criteria is that any of those individuals in that household has an income that is at or below 200% of the federal poverty guidelines. Second criteria, that any member of that household participates in assistance programs like SNAP, Medicaid, federal public housing assistance, Social Security income, WIC, or Lifeline. That is a number of various government programs that for which one also has to certify that you have some kind of low income or need that qualifies you for those programs. 
Separately but similarly, if an individual participates in tribal-specific programs like the Bureau of Indian Affairs General Assistance Program, uh, tribal TANF, or food distribution programs on Indian reservations, the next criteria is pretty straightforward. If any member of that household received a Pell Grant in the current award year of Pell Grants, that is a grant provided for higher education, and uh, the next criteria has to do with the free and reduced school lunch program or school breakfast program. If any member of the household is approved to receive benefits under free and reduced school lunch or school breakfast programs, the entire household qualifies. And lastly, many of the participating providers already maintain their own low-income broadband program or other benefit program. And to the extent that you qualify for those programs, you would de facto also qualify for the ACP. So again, we're thinking about a household and the individuals who are considered members of those households. If any of the individuals in the household meets any of those criteria, that entire household is now eligible for the benefit. And the benefit, uh, I'll remind you, is limited to one benefit per household. That is, the entire household would be receiving up to that $30 a month of discount on the broadband uh, and up to one $100 discount on the purchase of a laptop, desktop, or tablet, or other device. But the household definition can get a little complicated. So we have to define what a household actually means. And a household in this context means uh, one or more people who are residing at an address of cohabitating together, but who also share money, share finances. So two roommates who live in the same apartment, who live in the same address, but do not share finances qualify as two separate households to the extent that one of them qualifies. That also means that one of them qualifying does not qualify the other. Right? They would qualify separately for the program. But to the extent that you have anyone who is living together, sharing money, of course, you're a, a traditional family with children. Any of those members that qualify is going to qualify that entire household. Same thing applies for extended families. Any of those units who are sharing finances at one address can all qualify together as a single household. And more complicated scenarios, if you consider multi-unit dwellings, where there may be one internet connection that is servicing a number of different dwellings at that address, whether it's duplex housing or multiple units or apartment buildings, each of those households at that address can qualify separately and apply their benefit towards that shared expense, even if it is being managed by a third party. Right. If I'm not the one who's actually physically paying the bill, but I pay my landlord and my landlord pays the bill, then my benefit amount can apply to that bill my landlord is paying. And therefore, that savings should be passed along to me as an individual. How would you enroll if you suspect that you might qualify for this program? It sounds like you are someone, you know, the way to enroll is to go to ACP for Affordable Connectivity Program, acpbenefit.org. At that website, not only can you find information about the program, you can also fill out an online application. If you prefer to print out an application, you can certainly do that and mail it in. Once you complete that application, 
then you can contact your preferred participating provider. So not all providers of internet service are participating in the ACP, but the FCC and our administrating company, the Universal Services Administrative Corporation, have a list that we maintain of all of the various participating providers per state. So you would contact your preferred participating provider, and then you work with them to select a plan, have that conversation with them that you qualified for this benefit, you're looking for a plan that's going to work for you, and then that discount is going to be applied to the bill that you receive every month. Uh, And some providers, when you work through that process with them, may have like a secondary or alternative application that they're asking you to complete in order to verify or confirm that this is what you're trying to uh, enroll in. And eligible households, so if you're eligible, you have to both send in that application, and that application, again, is going to USAC, the Universal Service Administrative Corporation, in order to confirm your eligibility and accept your application. And separately, you must contact the participating provider because you are qualifying for the benefit, you're applying for the benefit, and then you're told by USAC, you qualify for the benefit. And once you qualify for the benefit, you then have the freedom to be able to go out to any of those participating providers and effectively shop around to become a customer of their service. Because what you are doing is becoming a customer of their service. You also have a benefit that you are receiving that's going to be applied to your monthly bill for that service provider. Uh, We've tried as much as we can to ensure that the ACP is going to protect you as a consumer. And there's a number of different rules that govern this. Of course, there are rules on the provider's side and what they can and can't do. But we wanted to highlight some of the things that we've put in place that consumers should be aware of. So first of all, as I was just describing, the whole system is designed so that you are ultimately a consumer of that service provider. And as a consumer, that means that you've got choice. You can work with that provider to choose a service plan that's going to meet your needs. If you are already a customer of that provider, you may want to elect to stay on your current plan and simply have this benefit amount applied to your monthly bill. And you're going to have those options can work with your provider to get the plan that is going to work best for you. We also want to ensure that because this is in many ways a low income program to support people who might otherwise not be able to afford broadband. If people have had problems paying for broadband services in the past, we don't want those people to be disqualified from participating. Those arguably are the exact people we're trying to reach. So if you've got poor credit, if you've got a bad credit report, not don't have a great credit score, those things should not be disqualifying you from participating in this program and getting access to the service. Uh, The same thing goes for excluding consumers who have a past due balance with the provider or have prior debt from before they enrolled in this program. So people who've had financial trouble who may owe some money on their bills, on past bills, because they have been trying to afford a service that they were having a hard time affording, we don't want those people to be prevented from enrolling in the program. Arguably, this program is for those people. So that's something that we we disallow. You cannot be prohibited from, from participating in the program for those reasons. And we also want to make sure that people aren't forced into either more expensive plans, right, that a provider would say to you, sure, you can get $30 off. All you have to do is sign up for this $200 a month plan. 
uh, which saves nobody anything. So we don't want consumers to be forced into more expensive plans. And we also don't want consumers to be forced into lower quality plans. Oh, if you want to get the broadband benefit or the affordable connectivity program benefit, then you have to get the lowest tier of service. That is also something that is not allowed, right? You can't be forced into one plan or another. We're also always on the lookout for things like bill shock, uh, pretty self-descriptive, but a term that we talk about a lot at the FCC is the end of the month. You open up your bill and you find your jaw on the floor because you don't know where all these charges came from. So we're trying to make sure there's as much transparency as possible in this process so that people understand what they're going to be expected to pay. And let's say as a consumer of this service, you're not enjoying the service you're getting from one particular provider. Well, because there are a whole host of different providers who are participating in the program, you have the ability to switch providers. You have the ability to switch or change your plan. Nothing about the ACP prevents you from either moving on to a different provider or changing your plan with your existing provider. And if any of these things aren't working out, if anything feels fishy or feels funny, we have now a dedicated FCC process for your ACP complaints. Uh, we have an overall complaints apparatus at the FCC, but now we have a specific dedicated apparatus that is for ACP complaints. And there is no penalty for filing a complaint that ends up not being something that's actionable. Um, I don't know. Uh, if that makes a lot of sense here, but I will tell you that if you were to file a complaint and ultimately the FCC said, oh, this isn't something that's covered under our rules, I'm really sorry, there would be no adverse consequence for you. So there really is no downside to if something seems like it's up, if something feels off, you can't really go wrong with filing a complaint because best case scenario, the FCC is going to catch wind of something. We're going to get it resolved for you. And worst case scenario, you're no worse off than you were before. And I'm going to make sure to provide you with uh, the website for and the phone numbers for the consumer complaints line a little bit later in the presentation, too. At the outset, I talked about EBB has the predecessor to ACP. So that was the COVID-19 pandemic specific benefit program that was originally set up. And of course, there's a bit of a transition taking place here now. Uh, we stopped enrolling folks in the EBB program as of December 31st of 2021. So everyone who was in the EBB at that point is still in the EBB and will remain in the EBB and getting that benefit amount through March 1st of 2022, which is coming right up. And those folks will continue to be automatically enrolled in the ACP program in many cases. But the FCC is trying to balance a couple different things here. So number one, if your benefit amount changing is going to affect the way your bill looks at the end of the month, we want to be sensitive to that. So on the one hand, there may be people for whom the difference between a $30 benefit and a $50 benefit are going to mean that they need to disenroll for the, from the program because that $20 is just not going to cut it. Right, That $20 difference is too much, and we would not want those people to be stuck paying that $20 a month because they were automatically enrolled in this program. They wouldn't want it. At the same time, there are probably just as many people would say that $20 a month does not make a difference for me, and me being automatically disenrolled from the program 
would not help me because now I've lost my internet connection. So in order for us to try to thread that needle, we are encouraging any consumers that were previously enrolled in EBB, they think that their monthly benefit amount is going to change. That is largely going to be anyone who doesn't reside on tribal lands because the tribal land benefit amount is not changing. But for everyone else, if there's a chance that your benefit amount is changing, all we're encouraging you to do is to reach out to your provider. Your providers should be reaching out to you with either an opportunity for you to opt in to the benefit amount and letting you know what your new monthly bill is going to be or working to get you into a different plan, a new plan and amount that's going to work for you or with the opportunity to opt out. But sometimes when the emails start rolling in, it's difficult to track a lot of that stuff. So we're encouraging folks proactively reach out to your provider. If you're in the EBB, you want to stay in or you want to get out or you want to find out what your monthly bill is going to look like. Once this transition happens, reach out to your provider, ask them those questions so that you can get started on that and not be caught up uh, in the shuffle. It's really, really important to us that we try to get the word out about this program. It's a massive program, $14 billion that's appropriated for it. So it's going to be a multi-year effort. We're trying to make sure that we're connecting the people who aren't connected. So if you're connected to us today over an internet connection, if you're coming to us over your mobile broadband, if you're coming to us over your wired broadband, glad to have you here. If you can qualify for the benefit, I really hope you will. And I would say if you know somebody who's not listening to us right now because they're not connected, that's a person that we want to reach. And that sometimes is the greatest challenge that we have is reaching the people who are not the places that we are. Because I'm connected to you all today over my computer uh, through a Zoom meeting. I've got my headset on coming to you uh, over all the fiber in the world. But people who don't have the connection are going to be more difficult for us to reach. So we rely on all of you to become a network for all of us. And to that end, we want to continue to foster outreach partnerships. So we're mobilizing people and organizations to help share this important information with consumers about the ACP. We do that in a number of different ways. First of all, we will deploy speakers like me, not necessarily me. If you don't want me, then you can just say you don't want me. If you do want me, you could say you do. But ACP speakers at FCC.gov. That's ACP speakers at FCC.gov is the email address. You send an email over there. Say you're looking for somebody to come speak at your local meeting. You're looking for somebody to come call in. Eventually, theoretically, we'll get back to doing some amount of traveling or doing things in person, and we could put those types of things together. So don't hesitate to reach out to try to help us spread the word. And then separately, if you're interested in becoming an outreach partner, if you want to get access to materials, if you've got a network and you want to know what you should be sending out to them, you can also email us at outreach at FCC.gov. That's outreach at FCC.gov, and we'll be happy to engage you and figure out how we can support your outreach work with the people that you work with. To support those outreach partners, we've already developed an outreach toolkit that's available on our website. The easiest way to find that outreach toolkit, as well as a bunch of other information about the ACP, is FCC.gov slash ACP. That's fcc.gov slash ACP for Affordable Connectivity Program. 
there you'll see a link for the outreach toolkit. And that outreach toolkit includes all kinds of things. We've got social media, logos, images, draft posts, draft press releases for you to download. We've got a number of different things that you could print in various sizes. Uh, if you're looking for any kind of alternate formats for any of those types of materials, you can certainly contact us. You can contact me. We can generate uh, almost anything you can think of in order to provide an alternate or accessible format for you. And then we also have online videos. We've got some pre-recorded PSAs, which I'm very sorry to tell you, at least one of them also features my voice. So I'm sorry for that in advance. But we've got a lot of those materials are available also in English and Spanish. So we've done everything we can to try to put together what we think is going to be a good war chest for some of our outreach partners. And guess what? If you end up at that website and you think to yourself, boy, I really wish they had done this other thing. Guess what? I really want to know what the other thing is. <laughs> we really want to know what you think we missed here so that we can make sure that we put together an outreach toolkit that is going to work for you. And if you ever run into anything, any problem with these documents, any problems with these materials, we want to know about it because we want to fix it because we're really invested in trying to continue to get the word out about this. I'm going to go over some of the resources again, as Terry so graciously said earlier, she is going to work to, to put a bunch of these resources out uh, via her network. Uh, in addition, I'm going to give out my email address. and I'm happy to follow up with anybody else who wants to either directly ask questions to me that don't get answered today, or if we're trying to get access to more materials, happy to do so. Just to recap, we were just talking about the FCC's ACP Consumer Hub website, and that is www.fcc.gov slash ACP. That's ACP for the Affordable Connectivity Program. The next one I'm going to give out here is a phone number. This phone number is the helpline for the ACP Support Center. I mentioned USAC earlier, the Universal Services Administrative Company, um, and that is not the FCC. So when you send in your application for the ACP, it doesn't come to anyone at the Federal Communications Commission. It goes to USAC, who is operating this program at our behest, right? We've engaged USAC in order to administer this as well as many other programs as well. So if you have specific questions or problems with your application, you're going to want to reach out to USAC directly. And that phone number for USAC's ACP Support Center is 877-384-2575. Again, this is the ACP Support Center at USAC, 877-384-2575. On the ACP Consumer Hub, we've got our frequently asked questions linked. We've got a link there to our toolkit, and I'm going to spare your ears, me rattling off a couple of these embarrassingly long URLs, but those are all linked at www.fcc.gov slash ACP. Meanwhile, if you're sick of hearing me talk about it and you're ready to apply, you're going to go to www.acpbenefit.org. That's www.acpbenefit, 
dot o r g and as a reminder that will not take you to the fcc or federal government website that is going to be a website operated by usac usac which is the universal universal service administrative corporation that administers this program for the fcc and that's where your application is going to go in if i can jump in just for a minute on this the usac website has been certified as 508 compliant Great. Yes, I very much appreciate that, that Terry. And I will say, even though USAC is not the FCC, but I would be lying if I said that I, in my capacity as Section 504 compliance officer, never got on the phone to call and speak to somebody about the accessibility of a website or content that didn't belong to the FCC. So if you ever have any questions or problems accessing anything having to do with ACP, you can reach me directly in my email address. You can reach me at is FCC504, the number is 504. That's the Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 for all those legal scholars out there. FCC, As amended. <laughs> thank you, Terry. FCC504 at FCC.gov. That will get to me. And if you have questions about the program itself, you can email acpinfo, I-N-F-O, acpinfo at FCC.gov. And we'll be happy to get back to you, get an answer to your question, or refer you to someone who can answer your question. Speaking of questions, if you generally have a question or complaint or other concern or inquiry about the FCC, you can always reach the FCC at its general number, the FCC's general number, which is 888-225-5322. And as Terry so graciously reminded me yesterday, there was a time when phone numbers referred to alphanumeric characters on a physical telephone. And as I understand it, the FCC's phone number corresponds to 888-CALL-FCC. I can't believe that something so coincidental would happen, but it's wild. 1-888-225-5322 or 1-888-CALL-FCC. Well, I'm going to tell you one more then. The TTY number is TELL-FCC. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy to take some questions, Terry. If you have anything you want me to go back and cover, I'm happy to go do that or take questions from anyone who might be here with us. I'd like to just make a suggestion, and that is specifically to those of you who are on our call this evening, who are maybe presidents or looking for information for some of your meetings of your affiliate of your affiliates or your local chapters. Get in touch with Gerard, because there are some things in the toolkit that are pretty accessible. There are some that might not be of great benefit to you. But even those products, uh, Gerard, if you send an email to FCC 504, those can be made accessible for you. Yeah, absolutely, Terry. And I'm also a, a big proponent of if you want it made accessible, I'm happy you make it accessible. But if what you really want is something different, 
I'm happy to, to work on something different, right? I mean, we don't right. necessarily right. have to try to get around peg in a square hole. I will, I will make it work. If you say we really are just looking for something entirely different that you didn't think of, we want to know because we're trying to, to make sure that we meet that need. Okay. And our first call will be from area code nine. 9- Five one. Hi, my name is Nancy. I'm not low income. I'm just I'm collecting information, Gerard. What is 200% of the poverty level? What is that figure? I got in about five minutes late. Did you mention the figure? This is Gerard. Thank you so much for the question. I'm happy to provide that. I know it is a bit of a wonky thing to have that pegged to a specific percentage. The poverty level is something that changes over time. Uh, So the problem with any time they're writing legislation, they want to ensure that as the inflation changes, as as the economic conditions continue to change, that these numbers are going to adjust appropriately. So there is a federal definition of the poverty guidelines. And I am just looking up here specifically for the this year for ACP, the one person household and again this varies based on the household size but the one person household is approximately $25,000 that is 200% of the poverty limit and then that increases uh with the number of people in your household all of those income eligibility things number 1 are sorted out by USAC in their application process. Uh, And number two, those are all available on their website as well. They indicate specifically um, what those poverty levels are. So we encourage anyone who thinks they might be eligible, you should certainly look into it. There are a number of different ways you can qualify, not only the income eligibility, but any of the other criteria like a qualifying for other benefit programs, uh, Pell Grants and the like. And again, the definition of household does not mean that every single person in the household has to meet that definition, but that only a single person in the household has to meet any one of those criteria in order for the entire household to be eligible for the benefit. Thanks for your question, Nancy. Sharon Strakowski. Good evening, and thank you so much, Gerard and Terry, for putting this on and for the people that are hosting and streaming as well. A couple of questions I have are, this assumes that somebody has to somehow have access (laughs) to the internet to do the application. And I wonder if there's any way that somebody could walk through it with a person via the phone like at the USAC Support Center. And my other question is that I know in my part of Massachusetts, we really only have one provider. How does a provider decide whether they can or or will or will not uh, choose to participate in the program? Thank you. Sure. Those those are both really great questions, uh, and, and I very much appreciate them. Uh, in Massachusetts, I will tell you, just because I am looking at, and I believe it was Massachusetts, so forgive me if, I'm, if I misheard that, but in Massachusetts, I am looking at the list, and I'm seeing... 30 to 40 different broadband providers. Now, meanwhile, it is important to note here that the definition of broadband provider may not be what we're all thinking of. So I I apologize for not having gone through that earlier, but there's fixed broadband in which you've got broadband that we're thinking of that comes to a home or to a residence that's got wires and you're plugging into it. And then we also have mobile 
broadband that is considered explicitly as something that uh, is part of this program as well. So both of those types of broadband, including the mobile broadband providers, you get a whole host of other options in any locality. Uh, and that is one of the, the main ways that we're able to increase the options that are available to people. And as that technology continues to evolve, those mobile technologies, mobile broadband becomes more and more viable for people to at least get that first leg onto the internet. As to your second question about processing the application, absolutely, right? I totally, totally understand the the inherent contradiction of, you don't have internet, just go to acpbenefit.org to apply. I totally understand that. And the USAC support line number that I provided can provide you with some more specific instructions about how you can get a mailed application. So certainly an application can be sent to you, a paper application can be sent to you and to the extent that you don't have access to the internet, that phone number to the USAC Support Center, that phone number again, 877-384-2575, that phone number can get you to someone at the USAC Support Center. And if you need a paper application, they should be getting one to you. And if they're not, then you can email me uh, at FCC504 at FCC.gov, or you can call me at 202 Four one eight one five zero five. That is my my direct FCC line, and we'll make sure to get that straightened out as well. I will add that we are in the very early stages of the affordable connectivity program here. With the end of EBB being December thirty first of twenty twenty one, we are now a month and nine days into twenty twenty two. So it's still a, a very young baby program, so to speak. Uh, does is not toddling around yet. And I will say that we have in our order specifically contemplated identifying partners who can help navigate the application for individuals in person. And those types of programs are currently being worked on. We want to work with local partners in order to ensure that we're able to get people signed up. Some of those things are still being hashed out. If you have interest in that, if you have suggestions for that, then we'd we'd love to be in touch with you about those types of things. Outreach at FCC.gov. Uh, And we can certainly continue the conversation about creative ways that we can continue to enroll these people who aren't going to have easy access to the Internet. And Melody. Hello. Thank you so much for holding this event and accommodating with the two different day and time slots. I have two questions as well. First, I have three different low income benefits and also receive the discount via my provider. So would I only need to enter information for one of the benefits And the second question is, are we going to need to screenshot a document or a card or whatnot to prove that it's ours and not that we're entering someone else's information? It's a pain for us to do it. And if we have to use a service like Be My Eyes or IRA, we'll have to send a code through text or email so they can securely access the accounts to try to enter it for us and screenshotting with a phone or something. It's really, it's difficult for us to do that. Thank you. Yeah. Wow, Melody, that's a wonderful question. Um, I really appreciate that, the level of detail in there. I I will tell you that I don't personally know, to to the second part of your question in terms of what ephemera or what collateral is required and to what level is that required in order to meet 
the need for uh, USAC's application? I can't answer that question, but I can commit to to finding the answers. I have access to the people who would be able to answer that for me. Um, some of that is, requires me to go through other folks because the system is certainly designed so that I can't go through and submit a fake application. <laughs> um, one part of this application process goes through what's called the National Verifier, uh, and that is a system for verifying identity. Um, so I would not make it past the first national identifier step where I trying to put in a fictitious application such that I would be able to get to the step where I can identify what kind of documentation is required. But I'm happy to look into that question because it's an excellent one. What accommodations are made for consideration is available for people who are blind or low vision who may not have easy access to something that can be transmitted as a piece of collateral evidence for their their application. And Joshua. Good evening, Terry. And hello, Gerard. This is a very interesting presentation. My question is, okay, let's say that you, let's say that you meet requirements for this and you, and, and you get signed up for the ACP program and you start getting lower costs, you know, this internet service. Okay. Now, is there any, is there kind of a benchmark? I know it could vary from, provider to provider, but is there kind of a benchmark internet speech are you looking at? Sure, you want to get, you know, low-cost internet, but my question is, is is the speed worth it? Thank you so much for that question. It's a wonderful question because I agree with you 100% that we are not interested in getting people an unusable internet connection. Certainly, the definitions of broadband are going to preclude that level of uh, kind of what I would say is borderline abusive, low-speed internet connection. The definition that we've adopted for broadband uh, is certainly nuanced. It allows for a number of different services. So the balance that we have to strike is that we also don't want for individuals who may live in an area where the only access that they would have would be by services that by comparison to major metropolitan areas would be considered to be lower speed, right? I mean, I live in the Washington DC metropolitan area and I have a super fast broadband connection, but there may be people who live in rural Oklahoma or on tribal lands for whom the only option that they have is a fixed wireless or satellite uh, link, which has high latency and relatively low bandwidth by comparison. And does that mean that we should then not connect that individual? And the answer that the FCC has found is no, not by definition. We wouldn't definitionally want to exclude all of the people who geographically may not have access to a decent internet connection because there's simply no provider that offers it in their area. Under our consumer protections, we specifically indicate that thou shalt not shunt people into a low-quality program in order that they qualify for the ACP. So the fact that you contact a provider and say, I qualify for the ACP benefit, I'm going to get this $30 off my bill, the providers may not then say, great, then you're getting bargain basement internet connection, and that's the only thing that's available to you. You should still have access to consumer choice of the various plans that are available there to select the plan that is going to meet your individual needs. The FCC is a little hesitant to decide for everyone if you are able to get broadband that is of a certain speed. Then, then that will qualify for this program. But if you happen to be in a place or a situation that does not, 
you simply can't connect at all. So there's a little bit of flexibility built in there. But if anyone finds themselves in a situation where they feel like they're being taken advantage of with their uh, enrollment or they feel like the speeds that they are actually getting are not what was advertised, that is why the FCC is around. And you can reach out to us. 1-888-CALL-FCC-225-5322. Okay, and Peggy. Yes, hi. I have a question, not really related to the speed, but is there a certain a certain amount of internet that you get like per month, like almost like a data plan that like it's so many minutes per month that you get of internet? Sure. Yeah. And uh, just to clarify, I think what you're referring to are data caps. So uh, the the equivalent in the cell phone. Yeah, the cell phone industry we talk about, or at least we used to talk about. I don't know that my children will ever talk about it. How many minutes do you have in your plan? And so once you ran out of minutes, you were paying some amount of a la carte per minute for your service. And the the analog in the broadband context is data caps. That is, after a certain amount of your usage, you're going to either be out of your broadband connection and you you won't be connected or you could be charged or there are even some plans in which uh, your first X amount of of downloads and uploads uh, is included in your plan at full speeds. But after a certain point, you get throttled uh, on that, which they call it throttling when the uh, internet connection gets slowed down for those excessive, excessive data. Certainly providers would be forbidden from implementing data caps that specifically target the affordable connectivity program. So you should not be shunted into, as we said earlier under consumer protections, into a more limited or lower function or lower feature plan by dint of enrolling in the affordable connectivity program. However, this is something that exists in internet service contexts, right? So there are certainly plenty of people who are paying full price for the internet who have a data cap. There are some at least arguable reasons why in wireless contexts of the data cap exists. Um, but you as an enrollee in ACP should not be specifically targeted with data caps because you're participating in the low income program. And I think that kind of covers our questions for now. If any of you do have any further questions, Gerard has given us quite a list of URLs and email addresses. And as I said, it will be available through the CCLVI website and through the visibilities.net website. And if you have any questions at all that I can be of any assistance with, on this, you can reach me as well, either at visibilities50 at gmail.com or at my work address, which if anybody can remember how to spell my name, this is why I don't tend to give it out very often, but it's Terry, T-E-R-R-Y dot Pacheco, P-A-C-H-E-C-O at FCC.gov. And if you send something at the address that Gerard gave you, the FCC 504. The odds are very good that he's going to be forwarding it to my office anyway. So either one of us, we are both more than willing to help anybody with issues related to the ACP. 
or in general with any accessibility issues with uh, on the FCC issue, because I work with him in Section 504, but I'm also the one person in the agency who works both in 504 and 508. I think when they get hired me, they thought I had two heads because I seem to have two hats pretty often. With that, Gerard, do you have anything else that we've left off that I'm not thinking of? Nothing that I can think of. Thank you again, everyone, for your time and attention this evening. And thanks, Terry, and everyone for having me yet again. Uh, Hopefully I haven't quite worn out my welcome, but I always aspire to. Well, you will never manage to make it to that level because you will never wear out your welcome around ACB and all of us here this evening. And I thank you again very, very much. Okay, there you are, Patty. Gerard, I really want to thank you for giving us all this information. (laughs) I've learned a lot tonight, and I will probably be calling Terry or uh, sending emails out because I have questions. We don't have time, so... Yeah, well, thank you so much again. Uh, happy to answer questions after, happy to engage with folks. And, you know, if you're excited about the program, we're excited to get you as much support and as much help you can as we can to spread the word uh, and get as many people who are qualified for this program enrolled as possible. Well, very good. And thank, as I say, thank you again. I want to thank especially Rick and Katie for streaming for us tonight. And Nat, poor Natalie. Natalie's been hosting. Hope to see more of you. Check out the community calendar that's coming up and the Council of Citizens with Low Visions daily information that goes out and everything that everyone gets sick of seeing my name go out on. There are some very cool sessions coming up in the next couple of weeks that I think a lot of people are going to be interested in, including tomorrow night with audio description with Carl Richardson on television. And with that, I thank you all and have a great evening. Good night. Please visit cclvi.org slash LTLV for more episodes of Let's Talk Low Vision. The main website for CCLVI is cclvi.org. Thank you for tuning in. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Council of Citizens with Low Vision and Visibility's co-hosted special event, our